0: AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt
1: Costa. You know, be careful what you wish for, Matt Costa. We've been saying for years, you know, they need to update some of the stuff here in the Spooky Studio, and they did it, and now look what happens. We- I know they throw us all off. For
2: me, at least.
1: We were all excited because we're like, oh, finally, we get to go on the air right at 10 o'clock. The Red Sox wrapped up early, and the pregame, the postgame show will be over, and we get to jump right on the air at 10.05, and we got thrown off by some some new technology here in the studio. But we thank the powers that be for that because, you know... We love technology. Yeah. We may not know how to use it, but we'll figure it out eventually. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. I'm Tim Weisberg. That is the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz, is here as well. Matt, did you enjoy your Saturday night off last week since uh, we we were surprised by not having to come in?
0: I was uh, enjoying the sleep, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did uh, get bumped off because the Red Sox had a rain delay last week, but that's okay. Uh, our guest uh, was going to be from the show Lizzie Borden Live, Jill Dalton, and the show actually... Went on a little bit earlier this evening. I, I didn't get a chance to attend, but uh, we'll definitely be catching it when it comes around uh, sometime in the next year. I think in the fall there might be some performances around here, and then there's more planned for 2010. So we'll keep you up to date about that, and we will have Jill on coming up uh, to promote that because she's she's an actress. She's a very accomplished actress. You might have seen her. She's been on Saturday Night Live. She's been on Law and Order. So I'm sure you're familiar with her work. Mm. You may not be familiar with the Lizzie Borden that she portrays. It's a more humanistic approach to who Lizzie Borden was. It's not just about the murders. It's not just about, you know, or in our case, the paranormal stuff that happens afterwards. It's who she was as a person. And I think that that's something that we sometimes lose sight of when we talk about either the case or the paranormal after effects.
0: She lived for many years after the event. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to the people that knew her, uh, 'Cause she died in the thirties. I've talked to several people that have uh remember her driving around in her car and, you know, being the flamboyant celebrity that she was, you know, kinda of like OJ did, you know recently, but you know <laughs> Until recently. Until yeah. so recently, yeah. I don't
1: I don't think she uh I don't think she went into that secondary life of crime like O J did though.
3: Yeah
0: as far as we know. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: But, I mean, but that's what we're talking about here on this show is a lot of times the history kind of gets rewritten and we like to dive back in and, and find the real history. And that's what our guest tonight is all about. Uh, Craig Anderson will be joining us in just a little bit. Now, for those unfamiliar, Craig is the person who helps us out. And he, he runs that fan site, uh, SpookySouthCoast.blogspot.com, in which he posts up all the audio from the shows, because we're not really that good about getting them up there right afterwards. By the way, folks, we're all the way up through February now. We have the last <laughs> two shows of February up, uh, including the Paranormal Blues show, which I know a lot of people were waiting to he- either hear for the first time or hear again. So that is up there now on the Spooky South Coast uh, iTunes feed and the podcast feed. And- Matt, did you get it up on the archives on the website? Yep. It's also- okay, so it's there. It's everywhere that you find our archives, and uh, we'll be working on getting the rest of them up in the next couple of weeks. And then we think we have a plan in place, Matt Costa, to be able to edit the show immediately following the program, and then by the time I get home, being able to upload it to the internet. So hopefully, we're looking at like a one a.m. you know time, where if you missed the show or you you miss part of it or you didn't get a chance to uh, hear it or you want to hear it again. We will hopefully have it ready for you by like 1 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time after the program airs. So keep our fingers crossed. That will be coming in the next few weeks because we have to get caught up to date. I I could easily just go home and do this show that way and start off, but then all the archives are going to get messed up. So just bear with us and we'll get them all to you. But as I was saying, Craig Anderson uh, took matters into his own hands. He recorded the show for his own benefit from the live stream and started posting it up there for people to to have a chance to listen because, like I said, we're not that quick about it. And uh, his site has become very popular. There's a lot of people that go on there and comment and that listen to maybe some classic shows that he throws up. I use the term classic loosely. He'll consider yeah. them classics. <laughs> we, we're kind of like, oh, why'd you, why'd you put that one up, Craig? But... He does a great job, and he's helped increase the awareness of Spooky South Coast, and a few months back, he launched his own project called Our History Project, and it's exactly what we're talking about, diving back into history and finding the true story, and so we'll talk to Craig in just a few minutes about that, not just of a paranormal nature, but all kinds of things, and of course, we'll find out where the paranormal intersects a lot of these as well. We'll also take your calls at any point during the program, 508-996-0500. 508 If you have a question about anything paranormal or maybe an experience you'd like to relate, that's how you can get a hold of us. You can also check us out all week long on the web, SpookySouthCoast.com. If you'd like to get updates, go to com slash sc. Follow us there. We're also on MySpace, and I have a Facebook page that people can request me on. Just look up Tim Weisberg on Facebook. I don't think the flute player is on Facebook yet, so it should be yeah. the only Tim Weisberg. And uh, you can also check us out live during the program on Justin TV, justin.tv slash Spooky South Coast, or you can click right on the link for Spooky TV on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. So I think I've promoted everything that we need to get out there. Uh, anything else? Anybody have anything they want to sell? Matt, you got a Blu-ray player for sale? Oh, yeah. <laughs> People can email you, Matt, at SpookySouthCoast.com if they're interested. Yeah. Sure. All right, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll talk with Craig Anderson of Our History Project, and we'll talk to him about our history and what a project it is to tell the true story. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights,
0: lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
1: All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And joining us on the line is Craig Anderson of OurHistoryProject.com. Its goal is preservation, education, and assimilation. And this comes right from the website. Our History Project is a weekly show that will take history and make it his story. We will focus on the story behind the story, capturing history from first-hand accounts when possible, and bring to light what impact those decisions made in their lives. We know the history, we can see the facts, now let's hear the influence of those events from the people who were there. Our goal is preservation, we want to preserve these memories for the ages, or in the immortal words of author and poet Joseph Rudyard Kipling, lest we forget. And Craig joins us now. Craig, it's great to finally talk to you. I think this is the first time we've ever talked person to person.
4: Yes, absolutely, Tim. It sure is. Been around a long time, but uh, first time we have got to
1: speak. We've shared many, many emails over the years, and... First of all, let us just say thank you for all you do in helping us with the program, but also for launching our history project.
4: Well, you are more than welcome, Tim. And let me just say that, you know, coming on, I guess I was probably one of your first listeners uh, within just a, just a very few months of you mm-hmm. starting out. And uh, and I want to thank you and, and Matt and Matt for actually making uh, making y'all feel like family to us. Because uh, it, it, it is a, a real down to home sh- down to earth show and it really captured me and it it made, it was captured me enough to make me want to stay around.
1: <laughs> well that's all we can ask for because uh that's you know kind of the way we work things with our own friends and family you know eventually you know as much as you want to get rid of us you just can't anymore.
4: I understand. <laughs> and that's that's
1: what works for us and you know if we get a if we get a few burgers and beers while we're over there fine but hey we're also uh I mean you you mentioned how we you know you want you say that we feel like family and that's really what we try to do with the program though. We try to make, uh, make it feel like, you know, a familiar place for you to go and and learn about this stuff. Because as you know, if you try to present a program where, you know, you're just dictating to people and and telling them your thoughts, telling them your ideas and, and impressing everything upon them in that manner, people don't stick around and listen. But when you can make them feel like they're part of the program, part of the show, that's where you have, have success. And I think you've captured that with our history project. You're, you're not standing there, you know, I'm sure that you're a wealth of knowledge about all these subjects that you're talking about from your own reading and your own studying, but it doesn't come across that way. You sit back and you let the person tell the story.
4: Well, you know, it, as as an interviewer, you know, sometimes it is our job to be a little bit on the slow side
3: mm-hmm.
4: and and to actually try to bring these stories out and get the points across that you're actually wanting to do. And but in the same os- aspect, we, you know, we wanted this to be a real show. And we understood that bringing it all together, the personality is going to make or break the show. And like you said, if you know, you're sitting there listening to someone dictate, you know, there's history lessons online as well as lecturers that you can go in and listen to every week they have a lecture come on. Well, to me that's no fun. You know, we're trying to get the kids of today uh, we're trying to get the school-aged kids as well as the adults who are interested in history to actually be entertained, want to learn. Uh, you know, one of our next projects that we're, that we're going to set forth in our history project is going to be a 10- to 15-minute show just for the children. And and we're going to alternate it between the, the full drama uh, production as well as maybe flip over to an Andy Griffith-style telling. You know, something, anything to grab the attention mm-hmm. and make people want to come back in.
1: And... It also helps, too, that you're utilizing a technology that, you know, younger people are very familiar with, and they might download the show, give it a chance, say, hey, you know, when I'm out riding my bike or out, you know, taking a jog around the neighborhood, I'll listen to it, and then the next thing you know, they're coming back into the house, sitting down on the computer, and deeping, uh, diving deeper into some of these subjects that you're talking about.
4: Yeah, uh, you know, I think we heard uh, Chris Balzano talk about uh, a couple months ago that he, one of his neighbors had a time limit on...
1: YouTube mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: yeah. It's 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 the wave of the future. Absolutely.
1: And and when you are presenting it in this style, I mean it also helps you know that you're you're presenting a subject matter that if you went to a radio station and said, Hey, I've got this great idea for a show, you know, it can really educate people, it can really entertain people, they'll stroke their chin and say, Yes, you're right, it would be very entertaining, very educational, but we can't sell that. Right. You know, advertisers aren't gonna want to put money into a show where all you're talking about is stuff that happened, you know, a hundred years ago. They want something that's edgy that's now. They want stuff that, you know, they can market their products to. And by eliminating the commercial aspect of it and being able to deliver it right to people, you know, it guarantees that they're going to get it and they're going to get it unfiltered.
4: Right. And, you know, and and with that, it's a plus and a minus all in the same aspect because you can't go to the normal marketing skills that, uh, you can in a uh, a private business mm-hmm. but when we looked at this just like you're saying i had to look at this in the aspect of how is this going to be how how am i going to gain money to be able to keep this production going to buy the equipment that we need and you turn around and you say it has to be nonprofit because your his, his, his historical groups or and your members and sponsors are what's going to make or break this endeavor uh, so we did go with the nonprofit status and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of ways you could go with it. Like you said, it's not a, a huge market out there on the commercial side.
1: I mean, it's a shame because if, if, you know, people really want to invest in history and invest, yeah, look at the History Channel. I mean, they have no problem selling, you know, programming and selling uh, advertisement. But. It's a different medium. It's, it's something that you're just flicking through the channels and you stop and you see a war and you say, Oh, wow, cool battles. I'm going to watch this. Uh, it's, it's more visual. So therefore you can hook people in that way with audio. You know, you've kind of got to make sure that you get them to come to the program. And I think this is something that, you know, two or three years down the line, we're going to be seeing this on like NPR or, or some of these public radio stations and see it get picked up and, and pushed around that way because that's another perfect avenue for it it's people that want this type of ed- uh, education and entertainment without all that other commercial stuff
4: absolutely and you know and you're talking about that you know you have to look at what we're struggling in with right now is we have listeners who want to come on to the show or people who come on and i'm sure just like with you once you put it up online is they will download it but they'll say i just can't sit here an hour and do it mm-hmm. you know when we when we program this it was meant to be for 80 minutes, no more than, strictly for the simple fact that you could download it on your computer, burn a CD, and take it to work with you, uh, put it in the car. The iPods, iTunes, uh, the Zoom Marketplace, the MP3 players, that's our market. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, it's, for, for the older generation, I'm having a little bit of struggle getting it out. For the younger generation, it's, it, it's, it's right there. Uh, some of the cool things that we've had go on is we've had several teachers this year just in our Henry County area, and we're in Georgia, uh, come on and say, look, if you, tell our students, if you'll go here listen to one of the shows and post on the forums or either hand me a, a paper written about what you listen to, then you're getting extra credit for it. And that's the kind of thing I'm hoping that's going to sweep across America.
1: There's there's a good chance that as teachers, you know, try to cram more into – I mean, at least here in Massachusetts, uh, we have the issue of uh, certain hours have to be met because things are geared toward the uh, MCAS standardized tests. But as, you know, there's more formalization of the teaching process, they're going to be looking for avenues like this where they can get extra information out without it affecting those classroom hours. Right. Uh, Do you think that, you know – as you go forward do you think you'll start working with educators and and finding ways to make programming that fits into their curriculum or do you kind of just want them to adapt to what you're doing
4: no oh, no absolutely we're actually striving for that right now uh you know and and I talk about like this is it, we've been doing this forever and and I guess in my my mind it we have but tim we just celebrated our our third month in production
1: <laughs> well congratulations on that you
4: know so it was you know we we've had uh 12 weeks out, and this coming Saturday will be our our 13th show. So, you know, when you talk about longevity, we haven't been here that long. And honestly, to make the leaps and strides that we have done so far is astronomical, really. You know, within three weeks of us going online and from purchasing the web space, this was actually a concept in the second week of February. We bought the web space February 29th, and we actually went on air. Uh, well, the actual website went up on uh, April 9th, and within three weeks, we ha- we held five to seven places on the front page of Google out of 93 million.
3: Wow.
4: We, ha- we held the number six spot in Yahoo out of 430 million. Uh, we hit iTunes the second week. Uh, a lot of this was new to me as far as the podcasting medium. And when we I started looking at Zoom, I said, okay, you know, I know people are on here, and how do I get on this? And you start looking through and trying to research how to submit things, and you're you're having people tell you, oh, it's so hard to get on here. I've been waiting this long, and I've been doing it this long. And it kind of pulls you down a little bit, but, you know, what the hey? No, never hurt me. Mm-hmm. And the very next week, the third weekend, we got picked up by Zoom. Uh, so far, we're averaging – about 120 page loads a day uh, between giving out and downloads of the show. We're doing about 200 a week. It's
1: it's it is amazing when you look at some of these avenues that you can use for online distribution of the show. And and for those listening to the program on WBSM. We appreciate it and we we love you and we thank you for listening and tuning in every week. But we have a majority of our audience is done online and it's done through podcasting. It's done through the live stream, but a, a lot of people just want to get it whenever they can get it and listen to it whenever they have the time and you know this this is the perfect avenue for that. The problem is is like you were saying, it gets so hard for people to not only find the show sometimes but also it gets hard to be able to submit it. I mean, there's a, a thousand new podcast sites opening up every day. And you can get that RSS feed for your podcast and start, you know, submitting it to all these different websites, but sooner or later it gets overwhelming. We're fortunate enough that we work with a company called Hipcast, uh, which actually handles all of our podcasting. Uh, we submit it to them. We load it up on their service. And what happens is they distribute it all over the internet. And they host all the bandwidth for it, and that's why we use it, because we couldn't afford the bandwidth otherwise for the amount of downloads we get. I mean, we're getting... We we had something like 2,500 last Wednesday, and that would kill us for the amount of... The size of the file... I mean, you know, because you edit our files down. The size of the files that we put out there, we'd be getting killed in fees. So we use that service, and that takes care of a lot of the the lower-level podcasting, and then we just have to submit it to Zoom and iTunes and all that one time, and then they pick it up from there. But to to go through this all as a non-profit and to not be able to incur, you know, all those kinds of charges it must be immensely time consuming just that aspect of it just getting the show out there to people
4: yeah the uh, on average i'll probably spend 12 to 16 hours a day as we're talking about right now uh and that includes usually saturday and sunday uh Sundays i try to limit it to you know six or seven but mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it does take quite a bit. Yes,
1: and and you're talking about just getting the shows uploaded to all these different sites.
4: Well, no, it, it actually that would be the interview, the cutting of okay. the show because I do everything pre recorded because we don't have a medium that we can uh, stream stream live through. So I'll actually do the interviews uh, one day. Uh, I'll do um, mine and Cassie's interview uh, for the beginning and end of the show, and then uh, Butch Holcomb with American Digger Magazine, who is now on Wednesdays. I'll do him a separate day. So it's a little bit every day and then we we're hosting probably 10 to 15 different blogs right now uh on WordPress, Blogspot, uh Podbean who's who we use. Uh then we got the website and I've tried to make everything a little bit easier as we go along and I learned that next step. Uh the one thing that I'm having trouble with right now and I think I got it figured out. Because I think I, I kept overthinking. It was Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know, you're saying, you know, the, t- the technology is here, and sometimes you you ke- you have to catch yourself because you can overthink a lot of
1: things. Well, it's, it's funny because here you are, you know, promoting history and promoting our past, and the the modern technology is what ends up killing us. It's the same thing with us. I mean, we we have a MySpace set up, and you know, we we don't update it. We I don't really play around on MySpace. I just send out bulletins about what the show is about, and if I need to get a hold of a bunch of people at once, I do it that way. So we thought we're golden because we have a MySpace, and then all of a sudden nobody uses MySpace anymore. Everybody's on Facebook. <laughs> and now we're trying to figure that out. It's it's You try to stay ahead of it, and it just, like you said, it can get away from you. The, the good part about it is, is that I look at it like this. If a nine-year-old kid can figure it out, sooner or later the three of us, and, and you you included the four of us, would have to eventually get it.
4: You would think, or at least hope, anyway.
1: <laughs> that's what the uh, online tutorials are for. <laughs>
4: yeah, that's right.
1: So now your latest show coming out is uh, about the Titanic's last secrets. Yes. And that's something that, you know, we've talked about the Titanic here on the program before, but tell us about what some of these last secrets are that give, give us kind of a tease about it.
4: Well, th- actually, the show is out right now, and everybody can go to our website, ourhistoryproject.com, and, and actually listen to the show. Uh, basically, Brad Maston Matson, M-A-T-S-E-N, came on, and he was one of the researchers that actually went out to find this ship on the last uh, archaeological survey, I guess you would call it.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, it all happened because someone said, hey, I saw metal bands on this ship, which really brought about a new look on what or how the Titanic sank. And it was a quest for these adventurers to go out, go down to the wreck, and look for this new find. Well, what they didn't find, what, well, they did find exactly what he was looking for, but it turned out to be trash.
1: Wow.
4: And they were on their last day, their last dives. They said, I don't know what to do with it. You know, you know, we're here, we've got $300,000 tied up in this project, and we're sitting here with nothing. Uh, Well, they decided to check one area, a cameraman who had been a part of the the team ever since the Titanic had started, and I apologize, I'll get his name for you, I don't have it right here in front of me. He, He actually said, you know, this may be a long shot, but in 1980, the Russians, when they were looking at this site, we found a debris field. It's never been explored. It's never been looked at. It's never been mapped out. If you're looking for a long shot, this is it. Well, they actually found two entire pieces of the bottom of the Titanic. Wow. And you know, this was a, a fantastic you know find. And what they did is they went around with the, the camera and they filmed every inch of the where the metal had torn apart. Well, then they could bring it back and analyze it. And, and instead of the uh, the ship sinking, going up, the tail end going up and dropping, as it did in the movie, they actually found out that it actually broke apart pretty much on top of the water, flat.
1: And then just sunk flat like that?
4: Well, it, 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 the water came in, and actually the pressure tore the, tore the ship apart. It did sink in two sections, but there was no big rise, and there wasn't a big fall. And when the, the water level actually reached inside enough to the buoyancy, uh, overcompensated it; it was gone within five minutes. Uh, you know the White Star Line and the people who had built the ship, and that's what this book really goes behind, as far as who the people were that were on the ship, who who the people were not secret on the ship, but who built the ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Ismail. They, I mean Ishmael, they they went to. That part of of history, and they found that what the major thing that sunk the Titanic was the uh, the labor codes, not what well, not the the labor codes, the building codes of the time for ships. They were 15 years out of date. And then the interview goes into okay, who knew what when? Well, Tim, do you know they actually knew within two weeks? Of the ship going down, exactly what happened?
1: Wow! <laughs> that that's without computer-generated models to assist them, and and all the other technologies that we would have today.
4: Yeah, yeah. It, w- w- within two weeks, they said there's an 80% certainty that this thing broke apart on top of the water. But you know, to be fair, going back into history and looking, I think it was uh, four years prior to the to the Titanic sinking, there was a a smaller ship built by the same uh, construction company, what actually got hit and a huge hole had torn into the the bow of the ship, but it stayed afloat for almost 40 hours. And this and the Titanic was built specifically to these specs, just larger size. Uh, but the guideline said, okay, at this size of the ship, where uh, Mr. Andrews, who designed the ship, was requesting inch and a quarter uh, plate steel. They said, uh, our regulations only say, we, well, let's drop it to, a, to one, uh, the rivets. He recommended using one-inch. Right, well, let's go down to seven-eighths. Uh, but at the time, you know, if, if all this was brought about and told what exactly happened, and from my understanding, all these logs and trials and testimonies are online, uh, the English and the American versions, uh, because there was two separate, separate inquiries that happened, and I think all those are available. But, you know, at that time, the the Titanic and the shipping industry, uh, cargo, that was the backbone of the world. Mm-hmm. And if the truth would have been known, it would have probably caused uh, public chaos, just like the airline industry went through in 2001. Nobody would have been going anywhere, and economic structure of the entire world at that time would probably have, have taken a severe beating. And we could have probably had the uh, – something more than the Great Depression, a lot earlier than what we did.
1: So instead this stays a secret for 80 years.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> talks about the cover-ups and stuff. And, and you know, Mr. Masson gets into, you know, it wasn't, in this story, you kind of look at you don't have a, a horrific villain anywhere. Uh, they were making decisions in business just as every business does every day. The only problem was this one cost fourteen hundred lives.
1: Mm-hmm. And and but this is what we're talking about here: the the chance that even though we think we know the Titanic history, we think we know everything that happened. You know, here it is: somebody's willing to shine that microscope on it, and and you come back to it and find out whole new avenues of of information. Where if people had just left it alone and accepted the account that was given, or accepted you know what we read in our history books, then we wouldn't know.
4: Right. Well, And you look at – there was a comment that was brought up in, in, in the book, and I, and I referenced this in our, in our interview. But one of the great comments that I, that I have ever read, one of the greatest ones I've ever read, said basically that history has three aspects. What really happened, what we theorize happened, and what the people with influence want you to know what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's true for – Every aspect of our history. We had uh, uh, Colonel Spencer Worse on, and he was, it was an 82nd Airborne who dropped into San Margulis. And at the end of the interview, he said, You know, I want to bring out this. You know, I was on the ridge looking at this Pacific Bridge and the battle that was going on there. And he said, Even in my lifetime, history has been changed and being rewritten because it started out with exactly what happened. And then it got downplayed to it was this many troops with this battalion and this many tanks to now it's a tank battle. And now it's, it could be a minor skirmish to hold this bridge. We had several hundred that died in this campaign or this, this one battle. It's, it's actually amazing, you know.
1: <laughs> and these are because you're getting these stories from those who are directly involved with it where, you know, instead of just. Taking into account what we've read, what we've been told, to actually speak to those who are there, I mean, not that it, not not that it compares to something like that, but you know, we talk here in New Bedford about the haunted armory, and all the stories that have come out of it. And Matt Moniz, you've heard stories for years about it, and and I actually had the chance to talk to somebody who was stationed there, that actually worked there, and talked to him about some of the stuff. And it it for one thing, it humanizes, you know, what we've been told and what we've learned, and at the same time, it offers that insight that you wouldn't necessarily have by reading words on a page
4: absolutely and you know that's what our history project is really focused about It's the story behind the story and it's like you said bringing it to the forefront and and personalizing it in that aspect to say you know yeah we can read it i always say you know as a researcher i am always striving and continuously looking for that diary that daybook, something that's going to give me more information about what took place and once you find that, you grab onto it and it may be a a, a little piece here and it'll lead you to another avenue in or another book where it'll you know every little piece that you get just adds to that story and it may take you twenty years to find something, but you know and this goes whether it be history or the paranormal and you know I've been approached by several people who are on a paranormal side but you have to understand I try to let them understand because some are really good some are really not uh, of the research is research mm-hmm. yes bad research and good research are entirely different matter research okay. when you get into it can tell you so much uh, this whole project started uh, with uh, a fellow named Wilbur Kurtz who was actually showed up here in Atlanta area in nineteen eleven and his thirty three volumes of text that spurred the rest of the story and put a lot of pieces of the puzzle together for me you know and when you're trying to do get something into that, there is so much information that we can all share, whether it be historians and paranormal uh, archaeologists uh people who don't normally associate with each other mm-hmm. and usually have something bad to say about one another, if we could bring everybody together on that, it, it would make so much of an impact of not only our, our daily lives, but also our, our past. And and that's the great thing of, about what this history project is about, because we can actually get in there, and we're not limited to World War 2 We're not limited to the Civil War. We're not limited to the Revolutionary War. A lot of the things, you know, you had a show on the Fearing Tavern. Mm-hmm. Man, I wanted to hear that show. Give me some background. You know, let me know the history of it. Uh, when we did, uh, you turned me on, Tim, to Aaron Kaju, uh about the King Phillips War. Uh, we did a three-hour interview, had to break it in three parts, and I was like a kid in front of the TV. <laughs> you know, I, I had forgotten I was even doing the interview, and it was it was just that entertaining to me. It grabbed me it was a part of history that i had no idea about and it educated me and it entertained me and and that's what every that that's what this whole history project is intended to do
1: But but that's what's lost on on a lot of paranormal researchers. they, they, They call themselves researchers. And yeah, okay, you're a researcher because you go out there in the field, you investigate, you look into the latest technology, you look into what's available, you look at theories of how to use different technologies that are available and theories about why things might happen. But unless you're learning the history of it, then... You know, what what good does it do to try to move anything forward if you don't already know what happened? Like, you know, we we hear people talking about all their ideas. And uh, like nowadays, people think, uh hey, you know, we should broadcast our Internet radio show from a real haunted location and do a show from there. And, you know, uh, Harry Price did that. You know, it's it's been it's been <laughs> done.
3: It.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's been done since the 1920s. Right. It's not anything that's new, but people don't realize because they haven't gone back there and checked it out. When you start to find a way to intersect that history with what you're doing, it solves a lot of problems for you. I mean, how many times, Matt Moniz, have you investigated something, gotten an EVP or some mysterious something that's happened, and nothing in the modern time will result to that, but when you go back and you dig in the history, then there's your answer.
0: Quite frequently, as a matter of fact, Sam Westhouse is a primary example. We're still pulling up stuff. Uh, that turns out that building has a lot of history that a lot of people don't know about Mm -hmm. that are connected with early American history. And uh, a good friend of ours, Debbie has been very diligent about doing some of the background research. She's done a lot of stuff on civil war, but I mean, the stuff that she's pulling up out of here compared to what we were gathering with evidence that corroborate each other is phenomenal. I mean, and without going back and doing the history of the property and the people that owned it in their history, a lot of these EVPs we got wouldn't wouldn't make any sense like they do now, mm-hmm. with with this piece of information going.
1: And and that's the difference, Craig. I mean, we, by your interviews with Aaron, you know, you've kind of made us relook at how we're going to do our Bridgewater Triangle investigation show this year, and we're going to put an emphasis on the King Philip's War aspect of it and what the history of these locations are, and when you start combining all the things that have happened uh, in relation to that conflict with the things that we get now, the evidence that we get now, that's when it starts to make a lot of sense. Otherwise, it really doesn't make any sense f- for you to go out there and try to interact with these spirits if you can't interact with them about what they know about.
4: Right. You know, And, and I've, had, I've had some paranormal researchers, uh, specifically one group, uh, approach me about the, a haunting at a specific area. And my first question with them was, well, what research did you do to back up what you're looking at? And they said, oh, well, we looked at a a Sanborn map. Well, Sanborn Fire Insurance Company maps, yes, they've been around since probably the the mid-1800s, but it gives me the lay of the land. I mean, it gives me what shops were there. It tells me where the wells were. Mm -hmm. It tells me nothing about what the people were uh, affected by. Uh, what the lifestyle was, who the people are, and specifically just narrowing it down to to one specific place. Uh, You know, when you're doing research, you could get within, you know, if you were looking for a campsite and they referenced a specific place, especially here in the South, well, yeah, you could say, yes, they were here, and they were fairly accurate on that, but depending on how many men that they had, it could have been 2 to 10 miles long. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been at that specific point. It could have been completely somewhere else. Uh you just never know where it's gonna be and until you keep digging and getting the rest of the story or as much as you can, because you know, just as any other in investigation or if you want to call it interrogation, you can always break down your witnesses to say, Okay, you may have a completely different story. Let me talk to him. He may have a completely different story. And let me talk to her. And she may have a completely different story. But something in every one of those testimonies is going to be the same. And that's where you start your investigation from. And that's where you start your research. We've had the the great fortune uh, of of having a Nash Farm battlefield, which was saved uh, under condemnation with the county. But it was the last point of the Atlanta campaign is the only preserved non built on battle structure, battlefield, south of Kennesaw Mountain. And we're talking probably 60 miles. You should be able to turn around and look back from where we are at the last point in Lovejoy Station and see a park every so many miles to emphasize the Battle of Atlanta and all the pe- people and events that took place there. Mm-hmm. But there's not. And we, we had the the great uh, honor to be able to have an archaeologist that was willing to work with local relic hunters and metal detectors to go out and actually do a survey and a find of this of this complete site. And you know that's just not happened. We had the National Park Service down to, to redo a survey uh, for the National Park Service, and one of their main comments was, you know, we just don't see the archaeologists and metal detectors relic hunters hunting uh, working together like you have done here you know it is it's almost unheard of but we had the uh, the archaeologist there he was giving a presentation and uh, we had I'm the webmaster for their site as well so you know I had all that avail- all that information available and we have dug over and over and over and into and into where we came up with 68 uh, pieces of historical text we got over 60 maps and what we did was, anytime we could find a reference to any part of our history, we tried not to make it, a, we tried to not to say this is our telling of this story. We went back online and linked to everything we could find. Mm-hmm. Cornell University has the complete official records of the Civil War online. So if an order is given, I can link directly back to that. So in doing that, not only have the museums and uh, other reputable Highly reputable places looked at it and said, you know, this is a quality site. Let's start linking to it. And we, we that's how that place grew. And, and we're glad to say it, it, has, it has taken off as well.
1: Excellent. We we have a call in the Well, I guess we did, but now we don't. <laughs> uh, we are up against the break anyway, so, I mean, we wouldn't have much time for that. But, you know, like, we're talking about, you know, putting this history To use in what we're looking at, you know, we were talking about Lizzie Borden earlier, and, you know, Matt Moniz, we wouldn't have known, well, we wouldn't have been able to theorize the things that we've been able to theorize if we hadn't found out about the, you know, the murders that happened next door to the house, part of the original property, you know, years before.
0: Not only that, I mean, having actual access, unfettered access to the property itself. Mm Mm-hmm. We're able to do our own measurements and, you know, test. You know, how long would it take somebody to run up and down the stairs or around the building? And so we're not just right. taking
1: somebody else's word for it. Right.
0: I mean, we're actually there and able to work with the physical materials there. And Leanne, of course, has a, a all everything ever written about Lizzie Borden there. So the the reference materials are right there.
1: So if you ever want to do an episode, Craig, you got to come up here and, and spend spend the night and actually live it in the house, and we can we can hook you up with all the uh, experts that you need.
4: Well, you know, I, I do plan on doing that because I talked to Aaron and he and he promised me a, a tour around uh, the Bridgewater Triangle and especially especially the King Phillips War area, and mm-hmm. I'd love to get up there uh, to do the Lizzie Borden thing too and to, and to meet y'all face to face and oh, absolutely, absolutely just.
1: Have fun. <laughs> sure. I mean, well, we'll take you to some places off the map, too, that that you can uh, investigate things we can't say on the radio. Well, we want to thank you for joining us. We're uh, up against the break here, and, and we want to make sure that you can get some rest, knowing that you're going to be putting hours of work into the program, even on Sunday.
4: That's all right. I love coming on. And thank you uh, once again for having me on and letting me talk about our history project. And uh, and let me just put this out to your listeners, that if you have comments or criticism or show suggestions, that you want to hear, drop me a line, and it's Craig Anderson at OurHistoryProject.com. And there again, you can reach us at dot, net, dot, org, dot us, anywhere. Just
3: look us up.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for all that you do for us, and thank you for all you do for keeping history alive. And definitely keep us up to date, of course. You know, we'll be talking in the future, and we'll definitely have you back to give updates to all the listeners.
4: Absolutely. Thank you, Tim.
1: Thanks, Craig. Have a good night.
4: Bye-bye now. Bye.
1: Right, that is Craig Anderson of Our History Project. Again, as he said, ourhistoryproject.com, .net, .org, all those different sites. And if you go on there, they do have memberships available uh, where you can kind of get involved and help support it. And I highly recommend that everybody does that. Everybody goes and makes a donation. As soon as we can make some money at Spooky South Coast, <laughs> we'll actually do that. Uh, we're, we're working on some ideas, but if this is, this is going to be a costly venture, by the way. Just well, getting here every Saturday night is going to be a costly <laughs> venture, but uh, we will be doing that in the future. Apparently, though, Spooky TV is brought to us by Ace Hardware. It is. <laughs> That's a new thing, uh, but whatever. I mean, hey, Justin TV, you can make that technology happen. We're more than happy to to allow our faces to stand over Ace because Ace is the place for Spooky South Coast. Yeah, when Spooky South Coast needs duct tape and electrical tape and whatever else we need to try to keep our investigations going, we go to Ace. It's kind of funny because I think we could probably get in trouble for promoting that on the radio. I don't know if Ace has a deal with WBSM. But, hey, you know, at this late hour, I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> but uh, we, we want to thank everybody who has stuck around with us uh, while we've been shifted around. And there's quite a possibility that it's going to be happening again next week, though. We will be here at 10 o'clock. We're going to try to put together our annual Bridgewater Triangle Investigation Show, uh, and then I know the 4th of July we're definitely going to be here on time because the Red Sox play a day game. So at least those cu- couple of weeks coming up, we know for sure we'll be on right at 10 o'clock. If not, just tune into WBSM or go online. Uh, if you're on the radio and you hear the Red Sox, know that we'll be coming on after the post-game show. And if you're listening online and you hear on the stream just a bunch of promos and PSAs, just keep sticking with it. Check the Red Sox score online, and when you see that the game is over, you know we're only about 20 minutes away. So, speaking of uh, being 20 minutes away, we're 20 seconds away from the news, so we'll come back after that with The Week in Weird, and we'll also talk more about the paranormal here on Spooky South Coast.
0: ...of AM 1420 WBSN, into the night and beyond. Here's more of... Now it's time for a breakdown.
3: Don't mind if I do.
0: Spooky South Coast is burr. Crazy,
3: this is crazy, this is crazy. I can smell your fear. I'm
5: not afraid. You will.
3: I supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen, Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Silent Assassin Matt Costa to my right. Science Advisor Matt Moniz to my left. And you can see that on Spooky TV. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com scroll to the bottom of the page click on the spooky tv link you'll find it there you can also go to justin.tv slash spooky south coast and we want to say hello to all the dads out there happy father's day coming up in just about an hour and uh, we will be of course uh, celebrating father's day tomorrow at my house with a combination birthday party father's day party so i hope everybody out there has as fun a day as we're going to have and you know, it's it's just one of those holidays where it just gives dads an excuse to sit around and do nothing. That's what I want to do. Once the party's ready to go and set up, that is. Mm. Now, there's something that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for a little while now, and I haven't really had an opportunity to do that, but I want to mention to, to people out there that as a lot of these new paranormal shows are popping up, you know, the reality shows that are popping up. And we've been talking about that a number of times. One thing we haven't really talked about is the number of fictional shows that are debuting out there that have a paranormal twist. And it seems like that's the new thing in Hollywood now, as money is shrinking for these hour-long dramas, and, you know, we find out, like, NBC is shrinking their prime time schedule next year to accommodate Jay Leno every night at 10 o'clock. You know, it, th- there's fewer opportunities out there for dramas to get picked up. And for such a high number of paranormally-themed dramas to be making their way onto the airwaves, it's it's pretty impressive. And it shows that at least it's something that people are, are really paying attention to now and people are really interested in now. I know there's a vampire show coming out to the CW. Uh, there's that new show that's on NBC, I think, now about somebody that has some sort of power. There's a remote viewing show coming out. I mean, there's all these different programs out there. So maybe people are starting to accept this stuff a little bit more easily or maybe they just still think it's just, you know, good old fashioned entertainment. But uh that's something that we can address definitely in a future episode. Not just the reality shows that we talk about all the time because you know, we know the people that are involved with those. We we see how that reflects on paranormal research and the like, but just the fictionalized stories and and what kind of impact that has. And now I also was reading because uh, I was reading a lot about the Ghostbusters video game this week, which is excellent, by the way, if I can offer a review. But uh, there's a number of paranormally themed video games coming out there, and I know you know Jason and Grant's game that they had been involved with it didn't really take off in the in the manner that it, that they thought it would, uh, and, and there is no real paranormal investigation game for some of these PS3, Xbox 360, Wii type systems. Uh, but I think sooner or later, if, if they can make the Ghostbusters experience as lifelike, and that costs you have the game, so, yep. I mean, do you feel when you're playing it like you're a Ghostbuster, like you're part of the team and that you're actually wrangling these ghosts? Oh, yeah,
2: especially with the, uh, uh, the Wii remote.
1: Yeah, we well, have uh, to actually do the physical motion, yeah. yeah. And and how do you operate the proton pack with that?
2: Uh, you kind of just point and shoot. Yeah, and, and you have to, like, kind of
1: follow wrang, around where the yeah, ghost moves,
2: too. wrangle it around. And,
1: and then when you want to slam it to you, just, like, slam the thing down. Yeah. Like, nice. Throw and, out the uh, thing. And now you're using the Wiimote <laughs> one and the nunchuck in the other? Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah. See, I have it on PS3, so with me it's just, you know, R2, L2, R2, click, <laughs> click, you know, whatever else. Uh, but I do have the six-axis option for wrangling ghosts. But now being able to play that game and, and have that experience, do you, do you think you could do a paranormal investigating game where you're just out there, you know, not actually busting the ghosts but trying to document them? Do you think I'm that not, would hold an interest level? I'm not
2: sure. I think that would be a long game. A yeah. long, boring game. <laughs> That's
1: what I was just thinking. There would be lots of mo- – well, I mean, we're not going to – if they well, design the game, it's not going to be like an actual investigation no. where you're – I mean, they're going to have stuff happening pretty fast and furious.
2: I mean, it, it's it's pretty – uh. As far as the Ghostbusters game, I mean, they have the PKE meter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just have an EMF meter to replace that.
1: That's in the in the Jason and Grants game. What was it called? I forget <laughs> the name. Of it. it was like phantoms or spirits or something like that. Uh, whatever it was called, I mean, they they had you had your paranormal arsenal, you know, you yep. had your thermal camera, you had your your EMF, I almost said PKE meter, you had your EMF detector, you have all this stuff at your disposal and you have to switch from one to the other. That's one thing that drives me crazy about Ghostbusters is they'll tell you to scan with your PKE meter for something and to document it into Tobin's Spirit Guide, but then immediately like as soon as you start doing that, you have to like whip out your proton pack and start fighting them, so yep. at least with a paranormal investigating game, you don't have to worry about, you know, Pulling on the proton pack and and busting them, you just have to document them. But I think you know you could create that realism of of what it actually is and and have people experience it. Uh, I feel when I'm playing that Ghostbusters game like I'm actually involved. The 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 graphics are ridiculous. The gameplay is ridiculous. It's just so lifelike that you feel like you're involved and that you're in these places. If they can do that, Matt Moniz with paranormal investigating, you know maybe it becomes a, a training tool. That actually helps these people when they get out into the field, and they can kind of know what to expect.
0: You're talking about making a
1: sim? Kind of, sort of. I mean, I, I don't want it to be authentic in the terms of, you know, it's going to take eight hours to have a, <laughs> you know, to have an orb show up in a photograph. But to to kind of give you an idea of what you might experience, I think it'd be hard to pinpoint because what you experience in an investigation is so different than what somebody else might experience in an investigation. Uh,
0: true. I, I I can see um some use to it. I mean, it can train people or condition them to react quicker and better when Mm -hmm. actual things do happen, you know, because I don't know how many times I've sat there and seen something and realized, you know, the camera was in my hand and I just pick it up and, you know, click like many other people do. Your, your body is sitting there stunned. If you can train yourself on the game to, you know, condition yourself to react, click the picture when you're out in the field, maybe, you stand a better chance of actually yeah. getting it.
1: Well, one thing I think it can help with is the the fear factor uh, when you're in that situation of having things happen. Maybe it can help, uh, you know, assimilate you a little bit more to being in the dark, to not being around your surroundings. I, I don't know about you, Matt Koss, but when I'm playing the Ghostbusters game, there's parts of that game where it's a scary ass game. Yeah. I mean, and I, we were talking earlier about like how far you've got. You haven't even gotten to the part yet <laughs> where you're walking around in the dark and and you hear kids. Like, ghostly kid voices freaking you out yeah. and whispering in your ears. I mean, obviously, you know, you, it's rare that you get something that overt in an investigation, but it's still, it's enough to freak you out when it happens that maybe if you can desensitize yourself. You know, they say video games have desensitized us to violence. Maybe you can desensitize us to the fear factor when it comes to paranormal investigating. Just just an idea, and if anybody wants to create a game, you know.
2: There was a game that uh I'm a big fan of that was on PlayStation 2 called uh, Fatal Frame. I don't know. If I've heard of it. Phantasm frame, frame 2. You're the you're in like this uh, haunted village mm-hmm. and there's parts of the game where you have this camera and you'll see a ghost and you have to take a picture of it and you can save the pictures and things like that depending and you get points, I guess, if uh you get like a good picture of it, you can but I it, if they actually could take that the essence of that game and mm-hmm. put it into the paranormal or like maybe a Pokemon Snap.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, here it goes. There goes the Pikachu. There goes the Charizard. That's all I remember. <laughs> but uh, if, if 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 they did make this game, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be this huge major seller, you know, like a Ghostbusters game would be, because there's just not going to be, you know, that that kind of draw. But it would be a valuable tool. And I don't know anything about making games. I don't know how hard it is to make a game. I don't know the cost they involved. They make it
2: for PC. They, yeah, they crank those out. Yeah.
1: I'm sure somebody's out there working on it. Somebody's out there working on it, I'm sure. So just our two cents worth on on the video. Anyway, just make sure you get Ghostbusters. And we have one loyal listener who uh who actually found me on PlayStation Network and I'm in the middle of playing Ghostbusters and a message pops up on my screen and says, I should have known you'd be playing Ghostbusters. (laughs) Absolutely. I've been waiting for that game for twenty five years. All right. Well, you know what was the weirdest part about it, Matt Costa, is I, I told you about this. I, I don't think I told you, Matt Moniz, but uh, last Sunday night, I get a phone call from an unknown caller on my cell phone, so I don't answer it. I let it go to voicemail. I pick it up, and I hit the voicemail button, and I hear, greetings, fellow paranormal enthusiasts. This is Dan Aykroyd. Now, you know, we've been trying to get Dan Aykroyd for a while, and it's just conflicts and schedule, and right. now that he's promoting his wines and everything, it's harder to get him on. Uh, So I'm like, whoa, Dan Aykroyd's calling me back, and I get all excited. And then the next line is, I'm just calling to let you know that your local GameStop will be opening at midnight for the release of Ghostbusters, the video game. So I got all excited, but I still went down at midnight and got my copy of the game. (laughs) But it's nice that Aykroyd was actually doing that, too, because I saved that. As far as I'm concerned, that counts as a callback from Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) All right, maybe it's time to get a little bit weird.
3: Great show for you today. was so wonderful? Weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird.
1: The week and weird. Alright, well our first story, it's actually a couple of weeks old now, but we weren't on the air last week, so It may seem a little dated. This comes from the Press Association. A psychic experiment conducted on Twitter has cast doubt on the reality of remote viewing. More than 7,000 people took part in the study designed to test people's ability to see distant locations. During the 1970s, the CIA spent I'm sorry, this came from a a British thing, so they say 12.5 million pounds looking into remote viewing with a view to conducting psychic spying missions against the Soviet Union. But the Twitter experiment led by psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman from the University of Hertfordshire, found no evidence that such an ability exists. During the study, the first to be carried out via the instant messaging service, Professor Wiseman traveled to four target locations in the UK and asked participants to tweet their thoughts and impressions about the spot he was visiting. Volunteers were then messaged with the address of a website on which they could see photographs of five locations, the target location and four decoys people were asked to vote for the location they believed to be the one visited. If any kind of psychic ability emerged from the group, the chosen location would be the right one more often than by chance. But this did not happen, said Professor Wiseman, who has a reputation for debunking psychic phenomena. He said, In the first trial, I was looking at a striking modern building, but 35% of the group thought I was in some woods. On another trial, I was sitting under an unusual-looking canopy, but only 15% of the group selected this option, with 24% thinking that I was in a graveyard. The same pattern emerged on all four trials. Once people knew the location, those who believed in the paranormal were more likely than others to be convinced there was a high level of matching between their thoughts and the target. Among the group, 31% of believers indicated a considerable correspondence between their thoughts and the target compared with just 12% of skeptics. This type of creative thinking might make people see illusionary relationships in the real world, said Professor Wiseman, and could, for example, help convince them that there are uncanny matches between their dreams and subsequent events, so pretty interesting. I contacted Professor Wiseman to see if uh, he wanted to, to join us, but uh, he has not responded at this uh, time. But hopefully, we can get him on and talk to him about not just this, but some of the other things that he's debunked over the years. Uh, not really an exact experiment, I would say, Matt Moniz. You're a scientist; you conduct experiments every technology. day. Which
0: would well, I was going to say psychology, not exact science. To
1: begin with, that's so. true. <laughs> but would you consider, you know, Barely using Twitter as a viable means of getting this across? Is it a good way to try this out? Uh, my
0: opinion? No. It, I it's think there's... like going to a, you know, ballet school and getting them to come out and play hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same type of demographic. I mean, you're getting, you know, your basic person that has nothing better than you than sit on computer you're not
1: getting i mean you can go out there and say you know hey anybody that thinks that they're a remote viewer you know tweet right but you're not you you don't. you can't fan out how many of them are just phonies that are playing around around exactly how many of them are people that see you doing what you're doing and say oh look he's right in front of me let me you know type that you know so uh, there's too many variables in it but it's you know i don't think it's designed to be a total debunking of remote viewing i think it's just kind of fun more well,
0: than anything? It's interesting, but you know, his results, you know, he, he should have known right off the bat. If you use in general public, you know you're only going to get this percentage to start with. Mm-hmm. Because so many people are just gonna be doing this for the fun of it and this and that. So it's I don't really consider it scientifically valid.
1: And <laughs> so sure they're not gonna say that I don't believe in remote viewing based on the results of that. I have other reasons. <laughs> All right, Matt Kosser, what do you have for us? From
2: the uh, Associated Press. The odds of it happening are astronomical, but not impossible. As one schoolboy found out when he was struck by a passing meteorite. The rock flew down from space at speeds of over 30,000 miles per hour, and grazed past the 14-year-old Garrett Blank. As you do want to give to his school. last name? Or? I don't know. <laughs> the meteorite continued on before ending its billion-year intergalactic intergalactic journey on the pavement leaving a smoking foot wide crater garrett was left with a scar on his head on his hand making him one of the only one of only a handful of people to have been struck directly by a meteorite the student from Essen, germany said at first i saw a large ball of light and then suddenly i felt a pain in my hand then a split second after that there was an enormous bang like a crash of thunder Experts are now examining the pea-sized meteorite to discover its origins. Most meteorites date back to the formation of the solar system 4. 4. 5 billion years ago. The odds of being hit by a meteorite are said to be 1 in 100 million. There is not a confirmed fatality from a direct hit before, although there are many reported cases of animals being hit by an impact. One woman in Alabama... Uh, Alabama America I think that's the US was injured as she lay lay asleep in bed in nineteen fifty four. The four kilogram meteorite struck her after smashing through her roof. A monk is said to be killed by a meteorite in Milan in sixteen fifty, and two sailors in Sweden were reportedly killed in sixteen seventy four. Interesting.
1: I've never uh... Never seen a meteorite. I've never been hit by a meteorite, but one time when I was younger, I got hit by a piece of a shell from a firework at the at the Boston uh, Brooklyn Fair. Uh, That was pretty traumatizing.
2: Did uh, in the movie Meteor Man, did he get hit by a meteor? And is that how he got his
1: powers? Or
2: did he just touch a meteor? I don't remember. I think I was the only person that saw that movie.
1: You and Robert Townsend, uh, (laughs) Matt Moniz, you you dealt with meteors i'm sure yes, before i have so and so many people are afraid that we're going to get hit by you know something someday what, what are the possibilities of that happening in your opinion
0: a large meteorite yes there's a certainty of it i mean right, we have I mean, a history of it throughout of here. our geological record well, what
1: the hell am i wasting time with you Jacks? for <laughs> i gotta go see my family all right matt monies what do you have for us I got
0: two. Which one? Either one. Left. Left. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Swarm of 5,000 bees outside the office uh, of workers. Sorry. Sorry. Swarm of 5,000 bees outside offices has workers buzzing. In, um, Mallison, Ohio, the general hum was low but steady. Employees at the, uh, Surfer technology uh, knew immediately what it was. It was the sound of thousands of tiny wings buzzing in unison. Sure enough, just outside the door of the office was a swarm of honeybees, about 5,000. You could hear the hum as soon as you stepped outside, uh, Marker marketing spokeswoman Clara Osborne said. It was fascinating, something that we may never see in our lifetime again. When you first looked at it, you thought, no way. But there happened to be 5,000 bees there. Uh, Surfer electrical designer Neil uh, Slazboer said, that, but then when you looked at the whole mass, you realized it was solid bees. One big clump of bees. Instead of calling pest control, Sabo picked up the phone and called beekeepers Rick and Diane Blessings. According to Rick Blessing, the bees have a natural instinct to swarm during May and June. Usually, he said, that occurs because the hive divides. There can only be one queen at a time in the hive. When a new queen comes in, the former queen heads out to find a new home and takes half the hive's inhabitants with her. Not far from the original hive, the queen will stop to rest on a branch or a safe spot to let several scout bees off ahead to find a new branch for a home. The remaining bees will completely encase their queen as they wait for word from the scouts regarding where to relocate.
1: Bees are the one thing that scare me more than anything. I uh,
0: think. I don't blame you.
1: You're you're not a fan.
0: You're you're. I've been stung by many different things before. I See. not fun that's
1: the thing i haven't really been stung very much i think maybe once or twice in my life but when i was like five years old i fell into a ground nest yeah and uh i'm just sitting there with them all flying around me and my dad had to come over and rescue me and i think ever since then i've been kind of traumatized by them like when i see one i i run you know everybody's always like just stand still he'll just sniff you and move on i'm not gonna give him that chance
0: did you get stung severely
1: no i didn't get stung at all from you, From sitting in that nest,
0: I stepped in a ground nest and got stung by twenty of them got yeah. stung by a whole nest full of white faced wasps. That was the worst experience as far as stings ever go. You got to figure it, these wasps can sting repeatedly, mm. and when you have you know basically a couple hundred you know chasing you down, yeah, not fun.
1: Homology. Eh. <laughs> How about kidding? <laughs> Alright, well uh why don't we wrap it up for the week and weird because uh we're actually gonna have a guest join us in just a few minutes. But uh one thing before we do go, uh, I just want to get this out there for for those who are unaware, and we probably should have mentioned at the top of the show. But uh actually today is a pretty important date. On June twentieth, eighteen ninety three a jury in New Bedford, Massachusetts, not far from where we are right now, found Lizzie Borden not guilty of the axe murders of her father and stepmother. So, of course, today is the day that she was found not guilty back in 1893. And, uh, you know, this the, the story still continues today. The, the investigation still goes on. Mm-hmm. And I, I recently was talking with uh, Faye Musselman, who uh, is – probably one of the foremost experts of all things Borden. And on her Blogspot site, she has a, a whole section of new information about the case. So uh, check out her blog. It's uh, Faymus.blogspot.com. It's P-H-A-Y-E-M-U-S-S.blogspot.com. So check that out. Uh, when we come back, we will talk with Elizabeth Russell of Bay State Paranormal Center. We'll find out about some changes in the Bay State Paranormal Center, some some new format for the center that will actually make it a lot more accessible to all the spooky south coast listeners out there so stick around we'll be right back with more here on spooky south coast
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades.
1: Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We're here each and every Saturday night to talk with you about the paranormal provided, of course, that the Red Sox allow us to do so, as they were so kind to do this week. And uh, we are also online, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can catch the archives. You can listen to past shows, read up about past guests, find out more about the Spooky crew. You can also follow us all week long on Twitter, Twitter.com slash SpookySC. You know, it's the only thing that isn't slash Spooky South Coast because Twitter is kind of limiting in how many letters you can have. They'll let you conduct social experiments online and, you know, apparently they'll let news come out of Iran, which is, for those of you who have had trouble all week long getting onto Twitter, that's the the big reason why, is everything that's going on over Iran is uh, coming out over Twitter, so it's kind of bogging down the system, but, you know, it's just amazing that the technology is being used for that. All right, well, we have a call on the line here. It's uh, somebody that's been waiting a long time to speak with us, so good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing?
3: Hey, Tim. It's uh, Dale Jr. fan
1: here. Hey, great to finally talk to you. Yeah, I'm a
3: huge fan of your show. I've been listening to your show for the past two years now.
1: Well, thank you for that.
3: I have a question for you guys. What is either the spookiest or uh, funniest EVP you guys have ever caught?
1: (laughs) They kind of go hand in hand a little bit to some degree. Matt, I'll let you take that first, Matt Moniz. Uh, It involves
0: actually our host here, Tim Weisberg. I
1: knew he was going to go with this one. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: Because if there's any more direct, you know, reply to a question this is it and uh it involves tim at the lizzie borden house and tim is like a lightning rod in that place i have watched him get the snot meat out of him in there because he <laughs> likes to provoke and um uh, if you've seen some of the stuff that we've done online or um on the history channel we talk about having his legs being picked up uh which happens to a number of other people there as well but um Tim likes to provoke them and uh, at one particular point they were, you know, he was asking, can you pick my legs up again? And, uh, we got a response that said, why don't you go yourself? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. that, that you don't get any more of a direct reply than that.
1: That's true. <laughs> Actually I can tell you about a, about a funny one that just happened recently. And, uh, we haven't aired it. Uh, I don't, I don't even think I've cleaned it up or anything yet, but, uh, we were uh, recently at the Fearing Tavern with uh, Jeff Belanger and Mike Brody and a couple of other people, and we're playing around with the the Cell Phone to the Dead, as as Matt Costa named it, but it's more commonly known as the Shack Hack. Okay. And we're playing with that up in the attic, and we've got two of them, actually. Uh, I have Jeff's and my own, uh, the Spooky South Coast one, and we're running them together to see if we get similar responses. And finally, it just got to be too much, so we turned them off. But we're talking to a spirit who's telling us his name is Tom. And... Jeff's up in the attic with us and he decides he's going to go downstairs and and do something else. So as he's walking down the stairs, this Tom voice uh, comes over and it says, Jeff, Jeff. And Jeff walks down the stairs. So we're like, Jeff's not here. And so we're like, Jeff, it's calling you. So Jeff comes back up. He stands here. He's like, what do you want? Nothing happens. So then he turns back around. It's like, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Belanger. <laughs> <laughs> and finally he comes back up. I was like, Jeff, they're calling you again. He's like, take a message <laughs> <laughs> uh, back back off to yourself do you have uh any evp stories
2: i don't have any funny evp stories but i think our the spookiest one was probably the first one we got that was... just because it was so un- unexpected and
1: and it was probably yeah. pretty funny how i reacted to it yeah <laughs> <Throwing the headphones>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we we were riding in the in matt's truck uh over to the studio and we had stopped off at ellis Bull cemetery and we caught it. Matt, do you remember what the EVP was? Do you still remember?
2: Oh, I I can't remember what it said. It's been it?
1: kind of broken down yeah. so many different ways. But to us, it sounded like it was repeating when I said, wow, that was weird. Yeah. And we yeah. hear like a high-pitched voice say, weird. <laughs> and when I hear it, I had my, my headphones on, and I heard it. Matt's just driving the truck. I mean, he's, he can't hear what's going on in the <laughs> headphones. So all he sees is just me sitting there with the headphones on. Listening really intently, and then throwing my headphones down and saying, "I'm never listening to that again." <laughs> I gotta hear that again, and then I put my headphones back on. So that's that's probably you know a, a kind of a just a, a potpourri of what we've caught over the years. Cool. How about that, yourself? Have you ever had one? Have you ever caught one?
3: Uh, no, I haven't. I've have not. I've been thinking about getting into this field. I just haven't had the courage to do
1: it yet. <laughs> oh, you don't need courage. It's, there's there's uh, nothing yeah. to be afraid of.
0: Don't worry, the it comes in a bottle.
1: <laughs> but the apartment building where I
3: live, I've heard some weird stuff. I've felt like tappings on my shoulder or on my head. Uh, one night I was making breakfast for my wife before she went to work, and I saw an orange tabby cut run, running by, which is pretty neat considering we have a gray tabby. Wow. So, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, my wife's old apartment, she's heard one night her name called, and another night someone go, Hey, you. So, and because uh, I, I live in a building that's about 40 years old, give or take, so, and how many people have lived and died in my building over the past four decades.
0: Along with the animals. You got me curious with the uh, cat because I got a friend that's doing uh, stuff on with haunted animals. You sure was not a live cat that came in with yours or something?
3: Uh, we live on the fourth floor of an apartment building. Okay. So there's no other way that uh, no other cat could get in. All right. Uh, like, because, um, like, the like, side of my building is all brick. So there'd be no way a, a cat could climb up unless it's got superpowers.
1: <laughs> Which would be pretty cool, too. But <laughs> uh, uh, Does your cat kind of react to things that aren't there sometimes? Oh, yeah. I've yeah.
3: seen her, like, looking around, like, at the wall. Uh, one night I was walking out of the bathroom and I saw, like, a shadow in the corner. And my cat started hissing like crazy. And I'm like, Okay. So I mean like I've like I said I've heard like I felt something like pat me on my back or in my head when I'm sitting at the computer. Uh I've seen stuff out of the corner of my eye. Um uh, this is this is spooky one morning my wife woke up and I was in the kitchen making breakfast and she asked me if I went walking down the hall into the bathroom and I said, No, I'm in the kitchen. Because she saw something that looks like I'm about five foot ten, about you know, about two hundred and fifty pounds mm. and she swear to god she saw you walk into the hall in the bathroom, and it wasn't me. I was in the kitchen, I'm making I breakfast.
1: You know, it's, it's weird. You could be in one of those places where it's just, you know, there's a high energy factor, like a high trapping of energy. Matt, I'm sure you've read about this in, in certain places where they have these, like, energy hotspots where it kind of just keeps recording what you're doing and yeah. keep replaying it. It's not really a haunting necessarily as much as it is just your trapped energy being replayed again and again.
3: You see, where like where I live, I live in a town called uh, Grimsby, Ontario, uh, and part of the War of 1812 was fought not too far from where I, I live. That's mm-hmm. uh, was at Forty Mile Creek, and they um, also had part of the War of 1812 in uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario, and uh, like just, like Grimsby was founded in like 1759. It's an old little town, and the amount of wars are fought here, and probably you know, whatever else is around in here way back in history. Like, I wouldn't doubt it that this place is haunted. And there's also, mm-hmm. uh, I found out, like, a creek that runs under the building.
0: Oh, hello.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, it sounds like you're in very fertile ground for investigation. And, and I mean, if we can help you get the courage up, we'll do anything we can. I mean, you oh, definitely yeah. should get out there and start doing it. I mean, maybe find a group that's in your area that can kind of help you test the waters a bit. That's true. Uh,
3: I just wanted to mention, I did get the bumper stickers in the mail about four weeks ago. Excellent. I love them. Um, you guys sell pens because I want to get a couple of pens. <laughs>
1: we're working on it. We're actually, uh, I don't want to let the, the cat out of the bag a little too early. and It's not a ghost cat. It's a real cat. I don't want to let it out of the bag too early, but we are working uh, with a new company to maybe getting some, some stuff out there. Cool. And we'll, we'll have a lot more uh, out there and a lot more to offer.
3: Because my wife's like a huge uh, collector of pens, and I want to get her one. So. Uh...
0: Oh, we have spooky pens that are the best.
1: Cool. They are, they're, you know, for, for me. <laughs> Everybody Cheat loves pens. Them. They're really good pens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll see if I can dig a few out, and we'll make okay, sure we cool. get them out to you. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks. Have a good night. Thanks for calling in. Uh, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. It's nice when we can actually uh, have the merchandise mm-hmm. to to sell. or to. Speaking of which. <clears throat> the missing items, the items that have uh, that are still the items south. that decided to uh, retire and move to Florida. Yeah, they're they're on their way back. Oh, they are. Well, yeah, I sent out an email, and so hopefully things are happening on it's that. Because it has to
2: go we'll through customs. That's it fun. does,
1: because you know it's it's a whole different country down there. Yeah. God's waiting. <laughs> All right, well, we have a guest on the line. Joining us on the line is the founder of the Bay State Paranormal Center, Elizabeth Russell, and she's joining us to talk with us about some of the changes with Bay State Paranormal Center. And I guess the biggest change, Elizabeth, is uh, you no longer have to leave your home to to run the center. Nope,
5: you don't have to leave your home. You don't have to get dressed. You don't even have to brush your hair.
1: (laughs) Which is good for us because we don't do any of those things.
5: (laughs) Well, yeah. But uh, yeah, we have gone um, pretty much all virtual, so all you have to do is just sign up, pay for your class, you get an email, you log in, and you're in class. So it doesn't matter where you are, you could be anywhere in the world, as long as you've got internet service, you're good to go.
1: And how do you conduct the class from the teaching end? Is it uh, through video? Is it audio? It's
5: video. It's video. Um, so you, you've got a visual, uh, visual presentation of whatever's going on. So, um, it just depends on what the class is. So right now I'm reworking the entire schedule because it doesn't have to be limited so much to the kind of like business hours where I was just doing it at night.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So we kind of have to, you know, look at some crazier hours, like, you know, starting a class at 10 o'clock. Well, that's. A normal
1: hour if you're on the west coast so yeah or 3 a.m for stuff people like in the uk
5: oh yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i'm thinking about that
1: <laughs> so now but, but are, are, how do you work it with your instructors do they all have to have like webcam capabilities or do you supply that for them
5: Actually I can supply it for them or if they have it, they don't even have to leave their homes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could have um guests from anywhere in the world teaching a class. They don't have to leave the house to do it if they've got a webcam. They just have to be able to log on, get onto the site and they're good to go.
1: And do you use a, a specific uh program for the for the video feed or is it is it a, a server that you have physically or?
5: Um, no, I subscribe to Hello World. Okay. Um, so it's a service that provides the video conferencing.
1: And with that, are you, can you put uh, stuff up? Because I know with our, our Spooky TV, we use Justin.TV, and if we wanted to, we could uh, show photos or video clips uh, during the program. Are you able to utilize that with this uh, video conferencing feature?
5: Yep, we're able
1: to do that. So beautiful. Cool. So all your evidence can be right. So, Matt, you don't have to worry about transferring it from uh, – from one thing to another, you can run it right off your laptop. I know. Last time I went to one of your classes, you lost some yeah. of your uh, some of your archives, and it'd be a lot easier <laughs> to just run it off one machine. Then. Yeah,
5: Works for you me. can do that. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Um, you know, it, it just it makes it a lot easier. We have an instructor that's about to do a bunch of traveling. You know, and it's a concern, you know, what are we going to do? We can't really cancel all his dates. But he's just thinking, you know, it doesn't matter where I am anymore. I can still make the class. So um, it's looking pretty exciting. You know, a lot of different things that we're going to be able to offer that we weren't able to offer before as far as who we have come in and talk. Well, actually, they're not even coming in and talking anymore. They Mm -hmm. don't have to, you know. So it's going to work out pretty good, I think.
1: What's the um What's the interactivity level though with the with the other students in the class? I mean, is it are you able to ask questions, or do you just kind of sit back, watch the presentation, and then there's a Q and A section afterward?
5: No, nope, you're ab- you're um able to ask questions throughout, because um, the big thing is just being able to have the inter- interaction between students and between the instructor. Mm-hmm. The one drawback that I don't really like is that um you know students are typing their questions. So, the instructor has to keep an eye on that, which isn't a big deal. It's just you know I think it's probably maybe it's not so much a drawback, but it just keeps it more organized so you know you can address things as they come up so um we've the classes that we've had so far have worked pretty good that way. there's been a lot of interaction and exchange discussion the whole thing, so it's been really great
1: and I know I've used some some different video conferencing programs uh you know, in the business world, and I know some of the programs allow, you know, everybody that has a webcam to be able to also activate theirs, and the instructor or the the person running the conference can see all that, and I'm sure as that technology becomes more available, you know, your service will integrate that as well, so it'll be more like a classroom atmosphere instead of having to read posts in a chat room.
5: Possibly, um, but some people might like that anonymity, you know, if not. I
1: I personally do. I like not (laughs) having people know who I am, but
5: Yeah, I mean, it can be pretty nice for some people, um, you know, who just don't want to have to leave the house for any reason, which means sometimes they don't want to get dressed. (laughs) So I have to get dressed, but that's just me. But, um, you know, and people that, uh, what do you call it, you know, need babysitters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think it just opens up a whole new portal to a lot of different people. We're not limited to just this small geographic area, we can go across the country. Anybody could come to this class.
1: Well, but in addition to that aspect, in addition to be able to having anybody take the class, it also really opens your doors as to who you can have teach the classes.
5: Exactly. And that's what I'm really excited about because, you know, I can definitely ask people that had been off limits prior, you know, because of travel or, um, their schedules, they're always busy. Uh, you know, we were a small place. We couldn't totally afford to, you know, have someone fly in, you know, pay for the flight in, pay for the hotel. So we were pretty limited in who we could have. If it could only be local people. So now we are open to just about anybody, which is really great.
1: And uh, the, the, the good part about that, too, is they also can just sit there in their pajamas as well.
5: Not really. They at least have to do the sportscaster thing, where they have to put on at least you, you, you a nice it, looking top.
1: You put the jacket on. You put the shirt yeah. of the jacket on, then you have the pajama bottoms in the bottom. Believe me, I've done TV. I know how it works.
5: <laughs> yeah. So the top half has to be presentable. So you know, and that's pretty cool. You know, um, was, you know, you just don't always want to do it. You know, and 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 just you just want to work sometimes, and you just want to talk. So. And this the, is going to
1: be a great thing. The advantage of it too is, you know, you no longer have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you no longer have to incorporate all the other expenses of of having a night out. Like you said, a babysitter. You know, you're yeah. going to be out around dinner time, so now you got to grab something to eat while you're out. You got to worry about feeding yourself, the gas you to drive get there.
5: there.
1: You know, yeah. Now it's just it's the class fee and that's it. Yeah. But well, now, it's how good, are the class how are the class fees now with this new format?
5: Um. It depends on the class, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's always dependent on the class, of course, you know, we still offer a large variety of very inexpensive classes that are anywhere from free $5, $10 and on up. Um, you know, it depends on whether the class is multi-classes, you know, we're doing a ghost hunting class right now and that's $30, but there's three classes and an assignment involved in it, so it's not something that's really quick, you know. but yeah, you know, it just depends on the class, who's offering it, and the time constraints around the class.
1: So it's, it definitely seems like it's going to be a lot easier for you in terms of, you know, making everything happen and instead of worrying about, you know, can I get everybody here? Can I get this done? Can I get this person here? Right, now yeah. at least, you know, you just have to make sure that everybody can log on. That's really the hardest yeah. part.
5: I don't have to worry about snow days anymore. Yep. Cause, you know, that was a huge <laughs> problem this last winter. Uh, Even if the instructor could make it, did that mean that, you know, people that would have normally attended the class couldn't make it, Mm -hmm. you know? So you might have, like, have killed yourself trying to get there to teach the class, and then no one shows up because of the weather. So now weather isn't an issue any longer. So that's one of the the biggest things, you know?
1: Because I I know I had to cancel a couple classes due to weather, but, you know, there were certain people who uh, shall remain nameless that attended just about every class day who had four wheel drive <laughs> so they could get there <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's it's now, now it's a little bit more even playing field you know and
5: oh yeah yeah so you know i'm i'm really really excited about this and within the next week or so we're really going to be up and going we've been offering a few classes here and there um but we're still working on getting the the website up to date with that, and that will be happening this week, um, along with some classes that we weren't able to offer before, just because of logistics, you know, and location. So I'm really excited about that. And we're also working on a Bridgewater Triangle Tour Series uh, that we plan to do once a month. So we will be doing stuff in person that you can actually come out to. Mm -hmm. Um, As you know, August 28th, we have the Paranormal Night at the Brockton Rocks. And you guys are going to be giving away tickets for yeah. that game. So there's a lot of stuff that we're still going to be doing locally. So, you know, we're still going to be present in the Bay State area.
1: Beautiful. And, of course, uh, we're go- trying to work on that fundraiser softball game as well, too. Yeah,
5: yeah. We need a location. We need a date.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, that's the biggest problem is, you know, is is when you find the location and you get everything nailed down and you got to make sure at this time of year that there's no – Uh, adult league softball game going on no kids league softball game Uh, no you know applebee's they all have their own softball teams it's so hard to get fields uh yeah you know when you finally do and then it rains that day you know
5: yeah yeah there's a lot of uh organizing that goes into it and then you have to pray for the weather you know and i remember when i had jason and grana taps you know come here to taunton and it was gonna snow Mm-hmm. And thank God it held off until that night. But that was just terrifying trying to plan something like that and, you know, just being, you know, held hostage because of the weather, not Tell knowing what it. was going to happen.
1: I'm planning a barbecue out to <laughs> a barbecue for like 40 people tomorrow, so. I know what that's like. But, yeah, you know, I mean, that you did get very lucky with that. The snow did hold off. But uh, yeah. I think with Jason and Grant coming, I think people would have found a way. They would have been out there with shovels and ice skates to get to yeah. town high school.
5: And the great thing was that they said, we don't care. We'll come. You know, it doesn't matter to us about the weather. We'll be there. And, you know, that was just pretty stand up. I, re- I was really happy to hear that because it was, really was very nerve wracking during that time. So and you guys were there and you know how awesome a day it was. So that was great. Um, you know, we've done some great stuff in the past. We're gonna be doing some more great stuff coming up and it's
1: gonna be a, a pretty good year for us. And you know, it's something that uh it takes advantage of the technology that's out there and it, it brings it right into people's homes, which is always a good thing.
5: Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, I thought it was gonna be really difficult and I'm not technologically savvy, not really. Not like it might sound like where here i am offering virtual classes online but i'll tell you if i can figure it out uh pretty much anyone can and it's basically as simple as i send you the email with the link you click on the link and you're in class so Mm -hmm. it's hard to go wrong with it
1: beautiful and then uh just make sure that when you do you know sign on and you are in class you know obey proper classroom etiquette (laughs)
5: yeah raise your hand if you need to speak
1: (laughs) don't uh (laughs) Don't start yelling in capital letters and stuff like that, like people tend to do. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Well, we wish you luck with it, and uh, hopefully we can start uh, offering some spooky South Coast-related stuff, and we'll definitely be seeing you on the 28th, if not before. And yes, absolutely. We've got a whole summer worth of stuff we got to get to, and we want you to be involved.
5: That sounds
1: great. Excellent. All hey, right.
5: any news on the next um, radio show as far uh, from, as uh, the
1: play? From what I've, the last time I've talked to uh, to Jim, they uh, actually have something pretty much done, and we're looking at, I think it was August 8th was great. the potential date. We just got to find, It's you know, we have to kind of make sure that it's not a Red Sox day and that we yeah. can get all of them here, and then uh, we'll just take it from there great so you'll you'll definitely be hearing from us
5: all right sounds good tim all right bye matt bye
1: matt it was great listening to you (laughs) (laughs) bye take care have a great night baystateparanormalcenter.com that is the link if you want to sign up for classes and find out more about the center which is now virtual and it's now available from anywhere so i think that's great i think that's going to really help people not only be able to take these classes and not only be able to learn more about this but to realize just what a great paranormal community there is in our neck of the woods as Elizabeth and the center help spread that worldwide well
0: we got a lot of uh, the biggest names in the paranormal up in this area and she has connections to them so now these people that say live out in California will have an opportunity to take a class with some of these people Mm -hmm. and we can take some from you know people out there that would have um access to places that we don't normally yeah do. so it's
1: yeah more of that community atmosphere and more of bringing people together we're all for that and uh speaking of community and bring people together we want to say happy father's day to all the dads out there and uh we'll talk to you next week when we will have hopefully our annual bridgewater triangle investigation show we did you have you heard anything back about whether or not we can get into those places that you uh you and andy were going to look into
0: haven't heard back. Yet. All
1: right, we'll get on it. We'll make um,
0: sure Andy's checking in on it. All
1: right. If we can't pull it together for next week, we definitely will. But uh we will be here at ten PM. Red Sox are on early, so we'll be here right at ten o'clock. Until then, for Matt Costa for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.